the TechCrunch Equity Podcast, in association with Connection. For all your IT needs, call Connection, your IT department's IT department. Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. This is our Wednesday episode where we niche down to a single topic, and today we are looking at what is next for the creator economy. And if you don't know what that actually means, don't worry, we got you. And happily joining me today is Natasha Mascarenas. Natasha, we have let Danny off the hook today. It is you and I and the creator economy. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I usually make a separate doc pre-recording with like all my hot takes. It's called tea. But this week I didn't because we have the queen of hot takes herself joining us on the podcast, which I'm really excited about. Yes, we have Alexis Gay here. She is, my gosh, how to describe you. You are a former Patreon denizen. You are a previous New York export, a Bay Area resident, now a digital nomad. And you are also a comedian. Alexis, please say hello. And if I butcher that nutshell, feel free to amend. Hello, you crushed it. I'm so happy to be here. So just for everyone's perspective here, Alexis was previously kind of like in the BizOps and partnerships team at Patreon. Did you run that org? Were you part of it? What was the sitch there? I built out BizOps on the go-to-market side and I ran creator partnerships, which is the equivalent to Patreon sales team. Got it. So helping creators use the product. Got it. And that is why we are having you on, not just because we are fans of your hilarious, I don't know what we would call them, shorts, maybe? Like comedic shorts? Is that fair? Ooh, shorts. That sounds like a category at the Tribeca Film Festival, so I love it. I, I barely can spell a Tribeca, let alone film festival, so I, I sound a lot more sophisticated than I am. And just because we want to give you a, a shout out, you also have a podcast called the the Non-Technical Podcast, I believe. Is that I right? I do. Yeah, Non-Technical. That's one of my favorite podcasts because it gets people who... Not all of them, but a lot of them are used to talking about their jobs, about work, about the market at mm -hmm. large. And you do the interesting thing where you make them talk about none of that and actually get personal. Yes. Some of the guests in the past were Casey Newton, Joanna Stern, two awesome journalists, and also yeah. Terry Burns. Alexis, before we get into it, how hard has it been to get people to not talk or not stick to talking points and kind of <laughs> get into like the honest truth of themselves as people, not their jobs? Well, luckily, I don't think many of my guests were media trained to answer the question, do you believe in ghosts? So <laughs> I think that it's pretty easy to answer questions about yourself when they're questions that you haven't been asked before. But every once in a while, someone times to talk about enterprise software or some bullshit. And I'm like, OK, hold on. I'll give you one. I think I gave one guest one hot take on SAS one time. And I was like, that's it. Never again. Well, it's ironic that you're on the show because literally our second name is hot takes on SAS. That's that's literally what equity is. She leaves the show completely. Yeah, I actually have to go. Sorry. Before we go any further, I have actual beef with you, Alexis. It's because um, I was prepping today Bring and I on. noticed that yep. your podcast has a higher rate rating than our podcast does on iTunes. Which God I, damn I, it. God I, damn it. I didn't even episodes, know that. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your work at Patreon. What years were you yes. there? And I'm asking because I'm curious about what part of the, the creator economy's boom yes. uh, you were actually working at the company for. I joined in March of 2018. We were about 120 people then. And I left in December of 2020 when we were about 240. Oh, so I joined when people had barely heard of Patreon and I left when I would say, oh, I work at Patreon, which is, and they go, no, no, I know Patreon. Got it. <laughs> you were there, you were helping these creators, what I would say, like become the modern creator, have a business around them hmm. and really start to like use that mm -hmm. language to their benefit. Hmm. What were your like early conversations with people and how did the creator economy, how was it defined, if I dare ask, at hmm. that time? 
Absolutely. It wasn't a term you heard a lot. To be totally honest, we didn't talk about the creator economy or the passion economy or the influencer economy. At the time, the idea of membership was obviously out there in the ecosystem because we were all very comfortable paying for our subscriptions. And membership is sort of an easy corollary to something like a Hulu or a Netflix. Mm -hmm. But we still had to do a lot of legwork educating creators on why having a direct relationship with their audiences was important to their creative independence via financial independence, which is something that today, when you see lots of independent journalists, creators, et cetera, on things like Substack, feels like table stakes. So essentially, Patreon was saying, you can kind of own this relationship. We'll sit in the background. We'll be much more of a platform than a, I don't know, almost like a partner in that sense. Absolutely. Big messaging at the time for us at Patreon was own your audience, own the relationship with your fans. Something that I always told creators when we were discussing whether Patreon was right for them was that at any point, if you want to download a CSV of every patron's email address and walk away, you can. Right. And that really differentiated and continues to differentiate Patreon and platforms like it from distribution platforms. Patreon is not a distribution platform, which feel the need to be very much in between you and your audience. Yeah, this is something that I, that I want to talk about, because when we think about platforms that creators use, there seems to be a distinction. On one hand, there's the ones that just want to kind of like hold the creator up, if you will, and yep. facilitate and help them. And then there's places where creators play like YouTube, mm -hmm. which is very much it feels like a, like a Google owned thing. And like you were yeah. there, you were playing in their sandbox and you mm -hmm. may get to take one of the toys home at the end. But like you're beholden to not just their content moderation, but also like literally their rules, terms of service. And, and they, they run the show a lot more, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It makes sense. I totally agree something that I've been thinking about too, which goes off of what you're saying, Alex, is like all creators are created differently. There are the people that want to sit mm. in the arms of a sandbox and they're the ones that want to play out in the ether and start their own company with no obvious ties or branding. When does that realization happen where you're like, actually, I want to take the training wheels off. I want to go build up my own Substack, and I want to, you know, leave all of the OGs. I mean, and, and who is that opportunity afforded to? And Alexis, I'm sure you you yourself becoming a creator, this really mm. meta shift of helping creators to become <laughs> one yourself, like wrangled with that when you were first mm. making that jump from Patreon. Like what gave you maybe the, the green light to say, I'm going to leave Patreon and do this thing? Well, I can only speak for myself. So I don't know that this is true of all creators, sure. but I, at the time when I decided to leave, I was less concerned about making it big. And I was much more concerned about learning what it would feel like to be fully independent as a creative person and sustaining my life through that work. Because I know this makes me sound like a total Pollyanna, but the thing that makes me happiest in the world is making people laugh. Bar none. That's it. I love it so much. And I just wanted to spend more time doing that. I loved my job at Patreon. I managed a team of seven. I love being a manager. I loved the work that we were doing at the company. I loved how much I got to build and grow and own. But at the end of the day, I was running off to do stand up or I was writing jokes or I was making videos. And it, the balance started to shift yeah. where the thing that brought me the most joy was no longer going and doing my job at a company I love. The thing that brought me the most joy was writing little jokes on Twitter, performing, et cetera. And I wanted to maximize the amount of time that I spend doing that. How much of an impact did the growing maturity of the quote creator economy from 2018 to 2020 help you make that decision? I would not have been able to do this in 2018. Yeah. yeah. So it was pivotal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Also, just as, as a very human thing, what you just described about wanting to be your own creator, like mm. resonates with me. Like, like uh, on one mm. hand, 
at my job, I get to work with literally my friends. <laughs> I get to work at an organization that gives me so much intellectual freedom and time. And uh, I still feel that tug kind of in the center of my chest towards doing something that I, I would own entirely. And I mm. don't know if that's me getting old or older <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Or if it's just like, you know, seeing other people manage it makes it more appealing to me or more even a thought hmm. that I might have. And I, I can't tease it apart. I feel like it's you being optimistic in a like in a, a realist optimist, because even in 2018, like the idea of a journalist starting their own publication felt crazy and it still does today. But like not to get so sappy, like five minutes into recording, but it's kind of a beautiful thing that like <laughs> we're starting to finally dare to dream to like do the hobbies or do the things that get us really excited as like full time jobs. Like I feel like that's something where there's obviously so many costs, so many limits, but it's like so promising and probably part of the reason we're all talking about this in the middle or the end of a pandemic where people had those like mm -hmm. aha moments of like, oh, shit, I should yeah. do what I like. But the, the downside, though, this whole conversation is it's amazing how much of a barbell effect there is for people in the journalism game, because journalism is dying underneath us. It's crumbling yep. into the sea yep. slowly. <laughs> Also, it seems like, you know, some journalists do well, most don't. And in the creator economy, it still seems to be kind of the same thing. There's not a great middle class in, in Natasha, our form of creativity, if you will. And mm -hmm. also in the creator world, mm -hmm. it still seems heavily weighted in a way that doesn't seem to be financially sustainable for most folks. And uh, I'm going to throw it to Alexis now to tell us all about mm -hmm. how lucrative it is. <laughs> Well, you'll see behind me, this is my uh, gold-plated mm. collection of small figurines. We're doing video um, this week, so all of you are yeah. super lucky. We are not doing video this week. I did not dress for that. <laughs> so, gosh, every creator is so different, and this is actually a bone that I have to pick with the creator economy in general, is that we toss around the word creator like it applies to everyone just the same. Yeah. And I think that what we really miss in that generalization is that creators want different things, aspire to different things, and care about different things. Some creators want to make money so that they can make more art. Some creators want to make art so they can make more money. And then there's every variance of that in between. So it's kind of hard to suggest that, in fact, it's, it would be wrong to say there's only one path forward for creators in terms of earning money. I myself, I've believed in the link between art and commerce forever. I wrote a paper on it in college. <laughs> I wrote my final paper in college called The Importance of Being Earnest, Does Good Art Sell Itself? I believe that these two things in our society in a way need to be intrinsically linked because that's just the world that we live in. And so I never view, and part of this is certainly shaped by spending three years at a company like Patreon, I don't view monetization or charging or accepting sponsorship as detrimental to my art. In fact, it gives me the freedom and flexibility to make the shit that I want to make because I get paid for it. Connection and TechCrunch have teamed up to celebrate and recognize those IT pros who have gone the extra mile. The inaugural Connection IT Superhero Awards are about the IT folks who deserve recognition for their daily heroic efforts to keep things running and move business forward. Nominations close August 10th, and the winners of five category awards will be announced live at TechCrunch Disrupt this September 21st. The ultimate winner will be announced live on the 23rd. Visit connection.com slash IT awards for details and to nominate your IT superhero today. So talk to me about, about the link between creation and, and money, because Patreon famously put together a model in which you can subscribe to an individual band, artist, poet, journalists were using it, and it seemed to have kind of a wide remit, if you will. It had a pretty mm -hmm. broad base, at least from my perspective. Yep. That's one way to monetize creativity. How 1.0 is that? And will mm. those subscriptions remain central as we move forward? Or will other forms of monetization, do you think, supersede what Patreon has built? And I know you're a shareholder, I, I presume. 
So you're biased, but like, I still want to hear mm-hmm. your take on this. Totally. Hmm. Well, my personal opinion here is that you need a mix when you're an independent creator. What I mean by that is you need a revenue mix, mm. right? You need like diverse streams of income. And the reason that I say this is that you don't know how the technological, societal and cultural shifts will change and improve or be detrimental to the way that you earn your money over time. So, for example, if you were somebody, a creator who only made all their money doing live events a year ago, you started having a really hard time. Right. So because of that, I think that it's important to protect yourself and have multiple income streams. So direct to fan monetization, I think, is God. Ew. Right. (laughs) These terms. I'm sorry. I just have to say it. It, it's like so essential to talk about these things concretely, but it also grosses me out because at the end of the day, I'm talking about how much I want to make people laugh. So whatever. I think these terms are gross, but they're necessary. Direct fan monetization is very important because you as an individual have to own your audience. You have to be able to get in contact with your fans, with nobody in between. And yes, membership is an amazing way. If you have the time, it takes a lot of time to build a membership that's good. You have to be willing to invest that time. I think that's a great way to do it. But you, in my opinion, you should also have other streams of income to make sure that you're protected against any pitfalls or, or windfalls, prepared for windfalls. So a question that I have about this, this multi, multi-part business model, because one, I absolutely agree. Like even journalists who are doing Substacks are, are getting, you know, CNBC contributor agreements. They're trying to write books, yep. you know, yep. they're trying to do this multi-part business model. My fear is we're demanding mm. that creators become very savvy business people. Yes. And let mm. me tell you, mm. even I'm many so business people are not it. savvy business people. And right? most creators that I know are good at making shit. They are not good at running shit. At like scaling themselves yes. to this extreme level where right. they're on TikTok and responding to all comments while also showing up as right. guests on every possible form of media. And then in person is now coming back. So you can't even mm-hmm. calendar invite uh. your way out of it. So I mean, yeah, like I kind of <laughs> taking Alex's question too, like, how does Alexis Gay scale Alexis Gay? <laughs> she doesn't. Oh, man, that's that's I love it. Alex, first of all, I love that point. And it was something that I was reflecting on just this morning, mm. because I think this is another thing that the creator economy gets wrong. Twitter gets wrong because it's like we talk about creators as though we spend eight hours a day just trolling Twitter for the hot new tech. And I'm like, I'm lucky if I find out about the hot new tech, I'm busy. Right. I've got shit to do to run my business. Right. right. And I think this is something we really get wrong because we think that all creative people, A, can and B, desire to do the heavy lifting of running a freaking business. Now, I'm a unique case because I love running my business. <laughs> but that makes a lot of sense because I spent seven years in tech. Right. So I enjoy the fact that I got to like sign up for QuickBooks and I have some like spreadsheets and very, I know, I know we're horrified, but it's true. It's fun. It, it, I enjoy it. Can I, can Both I t- sides of my brain. Can I tell you a secret, Alexis? So I, I've been yeah. tinkering with this idea of putting together a, a book review website because I love to read and I, I love to write. Oh. And so I'm like, you know, why not review yeah. books? And one thing that I have found on <clears throat> Twitter is that authors are super accessible. And so people that I read, I can just oh, like yeah. talk to. And it, it it makes my inner nerds so happy. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, what I should do is I should take this awesome URL that I own called Mediocre Book Review, I think, or something. I had some funny name in mind. And <laughs> I should put together a site and I should like, you know, have a link and I, people should be able to buy books. Do I should get thing. a commission and I can tell my wife mm. that I'm an entrepreneur and she'll think that I'm cool. <laughs> and then I, I, I just, I, I, I've not been able to get myself sufficiently like fucking excited about figuring out Amazon's yeah. referral program. So as the inverse of you, terrifying, mm. but also like, I feel yep. like you are the, the 
the strongest possible case. You have a strong creative yes. voice and you have a technological and business underpinning. But how common is that? Like, is it 2% of creators, 5% tops? I mean, it can't be many. I'll be honest. I have not met a lot of other people who are like me in that way. That's not to say that that I'm a, a unicorn. No, you can brag on the show. It's okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, amazing. Because like, I, I do think that personally I am one of a kind and incredible. And I, I just don't exactly. think that that gets talked about enough. Yeah, I, we, we had you on the show today strictly so you could talk your own book. So uh, feel free to tell people you're 12 feet tall. And, Thank um, you so much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, you know, the thing that I think is more relevant to this point is not that there are few of me, which I, I believe that there are few people. However, even I, who am should be at this perfect intersection of understanding, I don't have time and I don't have the ability to do a lot of the things that I believe the creator economy assumes that we can all do. Right. And I think we've been talking about this maybe on a high level, which is like this amalgamation of definitions and of what this mm. means and, and marketing, honestly, all the tools on TechCrunch.com even creator economy and headlines. And I, I guess mm -hmm. like, I'm wondering how you've been thinking about how much energy you want to put towards, you know, being the corrector of the creator economy definitions, how much it matters to be not using that term, but using maybe more specific mm. terms. And if it's like, I mean, yeah, it sounds like it's been adding to confusion. So really like, what do we do to make it less confusing? I'll be honest, like, I don't care. Like, this is one conversation that I have just chosen to see myself right on out of. <laughs> I'm like, call it whatever you want, say whatever you want. I'm going to be over here using the best tools that I can find to tell my jokes to as many people as possible. I want to circle back to a question I asked before, which is like this idea of scaling your own time as a creator. Yes. One of the startups yes. that I got most excited about was called Vibly, which Turner Novak, who I know we're both friendly with, yes. um, invested in. So we can make a little fun of it, but also it's actually a really cool company. <laughs> so they, their entire bet is they want to help creators create multi-directional relationships between their fans. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> Ooh, I know, right? Here we go. That makes think me want to vomit. <laughs> I know, I know. But I do know what you mean, you know? On right. the plus I mean, side. <laughs> I think about like the comment sections on Addison Ray's TikToks. And I'm like, these are people talking to people feeling so strongly about her dance. And I'm yeah. like, there's something there. <laughs> this is all to say, one, like how you've been thinking about multi-directional relationships <laughs> but like, is there any way you can kind of like create something where the creator's only communication mm. with their fans isn't Alexis posting on a platform? Well, what you're describing is creating a community. I mean, multi-directional relationship, right? That's when I hear that, I, I think we're talking about fostering a place for a community to come together. And in this particular case around like, we'll say my work or maybe around a topic that I'm very passionate about. Mm -hmm. And something that I think is great about platforms that enable creators to do that is that I do think that it's a large upfront time investment, but it's very self-sustaining because it's one of the only ways that outside of viewing your content or reading your work, fans can go to a destination and enjoy more of you without you having to do it. Right. And so for that reason, I think those multi-directional relationships or those communities can be very positive for creators if you have the time and the bandwidth to put in the upfront work to get that set up and then make sure you can add it to your regular mix of activities you do because you're going to have to pop in there every once in a while. You're going to have to give them something every once in a while so that it feels like you are adding value. Right. So my, my question about this is because I think Vibly is cool. This like creator specific discord community chat forum mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. I, I like it. But do you think creators are going to be able to, to run these things themselves or is this going to end up being like a tool that only larger creators 
which is a really ridiculous bit of English, uh, yep. who have a team <laughs> who can help them yeah. manage this stuff can use. Because I, I don't know if you could do TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and run a community because community engagement is a whole time freaking job. You know, it's I could not agree more. And it actually I'm really happy you said that because I think that this is something that gets really overlooked. I see a lot of companies in the creator economy announce their product and then the next tweet is like, and we've partnered with these three creators that have 10 million subscribers on YouTube and this other one that has 50 million followers on TikTok and they're using the product and they're freaking loving it. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course they're loving it <laughs> yeah, because they have a team of eight or 12 right? or they have a manager that has a team of 30 that's helping them run all of these different platforms. Right. And it's to take nothing away from the talent of the individual creator. But what I'm trying to say is that as a truly independent creator, like the, the way that I operate right now, small peek behind the curtain is it's just me. <laughs> and I have a an audio editor for my podcast. So I do the content edit it. He does the audio edit. And then I have someone who helps me part time do like a couple other odds and ends that are really, really valuable. But I don't have a team of eight. I started this six months ago. <laughs> well, when does Patreon go public? Because I feel like as soon as it, as soon as it does, you can have a lead team of two. <laughs> I want to like look at your calendar. I want to know what's like a regular day in your life and like really what's taking up most of your time. Do you have half an hour allotted mm. to engaging with community? If you had to like run us mm. through an average day, if you're comfortable with that, I would be super curious yeah. to know like where your energy is allocated. Hmm. I love this question. So I have to ruthlessly prioritize what actually needs to go out the door and when. And in my mind, the thing that I've committed to my audience in stone is that my podcast goes out every week and a new episode comes out on Wednesdays, unless I've taken a break or I've like planned to skip a week or something like that. And so my week is designed around making sure that that happens. There is no such thing as a typical day, but in addition to that podcast, I have a couple other projects that I work on where I spend time. I write almost every day or I try to write jokes almost every day. And then I spend a decent amount of time running the business business aspect of things, right? Like I said, QuickBooks, negotiating sponsorship deals. Obviously, I do my own sponsorship for my show and stuff like that. It's uh, yeah, and I don't live anywhere. So a lot. So like packing up audio equipment and doing a way suitcase and schlepping it up and down the subway is a big part of my time. Natasha was a nomad for a bit and she had to do a lot of equity recordings, like <laughs> holding her microphone. I'm about to end my nomad life. Oh, my God. Happy for you. I know. When we first met, we both had done like the fake SF exit. But now I'm doing like yeah. the tail between my legs, go to my storage unit after one year, see what I'm going to do. You're going back up. to the unit. Yeah. Can you get my stuff too? <laughs> I will. I will. Please. I'm like, I feel like there's probably <laughs> so much there that I've like aged out of even after one year because I'm now like 50 years old. Thanks to thanks to all of this. So it's going to be a trip. I mean, I'll be live tweeting all of it, of course. <laughs> I've been 50 years that. old for at least 15, 20 years now. And it's great. <laughs> like, let me tell you, you should see our, 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 our tea collection in our house. Like we have so much freaking tea. Old me only had like empty half pint vodka bottles. And now I'm yeah. like, this is the loose leaf collection. This is the tea bag collection. Here's the proper accoutrement for proper tea creation. That's amazing. Yeah, getting old's great as far as I can tell. I, I want to pull up some data for everyone because we mentioned Addison yeah. Ray earlier and mm. i in my head was pointing at danny and i was saying who because i only follow my friend aaron on tiktok because she's the only tiktoker <laughs> that i know and to be clear she's great dumpster snacks on tiktok if you want to look her up addison ray th this blew my freaking mind she has 5.3 billion likes on tiktok yeah mm -hmm. and it's not even Whoa. the most popular creator who i mean what's more than that charlie d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d
<laughs> what was interesting though about this Addison Rae creator who apparently I'm very behind on is that she has a link in her TikTok that says obsessed out on all platforms and there's a little link and I was like, oh, okay, so she's doing music and she's also accreted 750,000 uh, unique listeners per month on Spotify. So there's some multi-platform work. Of course, she does have a very large team, I'm sure, but just yeah. my gosh, can you imagine the, the work this would take just to stay I just th- this active like I, I like to write but yes. like my god it, writing's a pretty solo task this is all teamwork that mm. must be just brutal on a, on a cadence basis I mean Alexis you do mm. a weekly podcast that's a lot of mm-hmm. work we do equity yeah. three times a week we have a team of uh five for the show yeah you know and that's yeah barely enough people think that creative work is fun it is yeah and then you do all the work yes I, you know, I feel so lucky to do it that even when I'm stressed I'm I'm like I'll be stressed, but then I'll be okay because I'll be like, I'm so stressed. Oh, my God, I have so much stuff to do. But then I remember that at the end of the day, like I'm still getting paid ultimately to do comedy and it relaxes me a little bit. And then I'm immediately stressed again. But at least for that one second, it's like that's my moment of Zen. Like, okay, this is all worth it. I think the other thing that keeps me sane doing a lot of those different activities and keeping up the cadence that you mentioned, because outside of my podcast, I also try to write a tremendous number of jokes. It's very important to me. It's the only way that I think you can get better at comedy is to do more comedy. And then I also make videos. And I like I said, I work on some projects in the background. But the reason I bring all that up is that I'm very motivated by the slow burn. And I think that this is something that I may not have in common with a lot of creators who are creating specifically for the Internet today which seems to be very biased towards rewarding big viral pops and not rewarding the day in and day out, like slow burn work of consistently creating stuff, period, whether that's online or, or, or offline. And I love the slow burn because I want to build something that's going to last. And so I am more interested in getting better at writing jokes, posting them a lot, getting better at making videos, posting them a lot, getting better at being an interviewer, et cetera, going back to performing live. I do stand up. I can't wait to get back on stage slash it's going to be really bad at first, (laughs) but whatever. I'm so much more interested in building a thing with longevity than I am in just like chasing the next big platform to try to have like a big quick hit there. Because ultimately what I think I learned from my time in the creator monetization space is that your connection with the audience has to be strong enough that they want to come with you. And whether that's coming with you into the membership or coming with you into the audience in the auditorium, whatever it is, they have to feel strongly connected enough with you that they want to do that. And I think that that's where platforms like TikTok and some other that create quicker, more, but I think quicker, more ephemeral connections maybe don't ultimately serve creators as much as we think they do, because even though it makes it easier to build, quote, a following, not all followings are created equal when it comes to a fan or an audience member's level of dedication to the creator. Totally. I mean, in the distance, I hear a VC being like, okay, that's an opportunity for an early stage startup. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and that's maybe where it goes next. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that's a good segue into maybe our last section, which is what is getting you excited with what's next in the creator economy, but also what do you hope you see? Like, what is your dream startup or dream focus? Hmm. And I'll start off with an easier question, which is like, what are you hoping maybe gets less funding or less attention as a value of creator focused companies going (laughs) forward? Spicy. (laughs) Mm, Very spicy. Well, I'll share some thoughts. I think that one trend. Well, let me say this. Things get a lot of attention all the time. I don't really care. Whatever. Be tweet. Do whatever you want on the Internet is kind of how I feel. In terms of a trend that I would like to see less of, (laughs) I would like to see platforms and people talk about creators less like we are delicate little houseplants in need of 
protection. <laughs> it's a trend that I, it drives me freaking crazy. I don't even refer to myself as a creator. I don't think I've said that yet. I rarely refer to myself as a creator. What do you refer to yourself as? I say I'm a comedian and I have a podcast. All comedians have podcasts. That's correct. It's actually a legally binding <laughs> agreement. When you become a comedian, they send you a road podcasting mic. <laughs> but I mean, it's true because I, and I'm not, that's not to disparage the term, but something that makes me nuts is when being a creator gets talked about online. Like it's, yeah, and I understand I, I, it comes from a good place. A lot of the time we do need to make sure that platforms are being built that empower creative work. But I don't like it when people talk about creators, like people need to be aware that creative work is so hard. And I'm like, yeah, it's hard, but also like we got this, you know? And if people can build tools that really help empower creative people, that's great. But I don't want to get talked about like I'm a houseplant, you know? I feel the same way about the word creator as I do about content. Like I, I am mm, not a content mm -hmm. creator. Uh, I'm a writer. Yes, I know. People say that about me too. It makes it kind of clinical <laughs> in a way too of just like, this is a box I shall put I you in. And if you leave the box, I will no longer serve you. But so stay within the box. Mm. Yeah. Also, I think creators are so brave to be going out. And I, I don't mm. mean to gas you up, Alexis, but like it, it, I think it's brave to go out on your own to leave the broader kind of like corporate mm. and job world and try to build a small business around creativity. And mm. given how much just sheer pluck that takes, you're not talking about the hyper fragile. Not everyone who's a creator totally. is totally. a poetry PhD who hasn't seen the sun in 38 years. You know what I mean? Like totally it's agree. a ridiculous stereotype. I think maybe that is what I feel is like, it just doesn't see the way we talk about creators has never really seemed to describe me. I'll tell you this, a trend I would like to see more of though, is companies building for creators, actually hiring the types of creators that they're building for. Because I don't understand how people who have never been creators before uh, claim, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but like <laughs> really claim to understand the audience that they're serving. And I want to, I, I feel excited about the experience that I'm going through right now. And I'm like, how could I have ever thought that I could build a company geared towards creators without having been one first? Like yeah. I feel more prepared now to run a company or create a company serving a creative class of people than I did before I started, for sure. This is how the equity crew feels about men founding women's health focus companies. We're always like, <laughs> oh yes, men. Like, you know. The most experienced uh, in, yes. in all of that. So, but your, your point though about, you know, now with your experience, now with your mm -hmm. knowledge of being both on kind of both sides of this, the platform side and also yep. the creator yep. side, or the, sorry, the comedian side, if I may. Sure. How long until we see Alexis Gay Ventures? Because I feel like the obvious next step <laughs> is to found a venture capital fund because everyone else a in the world is fund. doing it. It has to be a rolling fund, actually. Hmm. Wouldn't that be wild? <laughs> That's not, it's a, not no. a no. <laughs> it's not a no. It's not a no. That would just be, hmm. it, I, you know, it would be almost too on the nose. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Alexis, you did a joke where you created an NFT. Oh, <laughs> And I think people fell oh, for man. it, fell for it a little Guys, too seriously. I, I hyperventilated after that. I'll tell you the truth. I put an April. I, I First of all, I hate April Fool's Day. I don't know why I did this, but I did an April Fool's Day joke where I made it look like I was offering a video I made as an NFT. And I like mocked up a little Photoshop thing. And I was like, surprise, like I'm I was like, you know, some personal news. I'm thrilled to announce that I'm partaking, whatever, whatever. And people thought it was real. And I started freaking out because I was like, oh my God, people are going to think I'm doing an NFT. And then I was like, why do I care so much? And I'm like, because it's like, I've become the thing that I make fun yeah. of, which <laughs> is actually very apt because I'm always making fun of myself. All the people I make fun of in those videos, that's just different versions of me. Yeah. But I had to do a follow-up tweet that was like, ooh, April Fools, <laughs> just to ease my own. 
<laughs> I was like text. I called people who liked the tweet. I literally <laughs> like, like, like this is what you need a press team. You need a press team my to like release boyfriend liked the tweet and I called him and I was like, hey, just checking. You knew that was a joke, right? And he's like, yes, Alexis, <laughs> relax. But, but he knew because I mean, presumably given that you used to date, he knew you pretty well. I, I would exactly. bet you, you know, like $10 that like everyone else thought it was real because oh, NFTs Alex. are just like ICOs. <laughs> and the reason why they're the same is they're just cash grabs. Like yeah, NFTs sure. have no value. Right. I don't like them. And sure. uh, everyone's trying to get on board because they're just ways to, to take money from rubes. And that's fine. But it's frustrating. Anyways, listen, we have to close. Alexis, tell the yes. people if they would like to hear more uh, hot takes on the creative economy and mm. also comedy. Where should mm. they go on the intertubes to find you? Oh, man. Well, I'll be honest. I don't tweet a lot about the creator economy. But if you want some jokes and videos, you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram. And then my podcast, Non-Technical, comes out on Wednesdays. I interview influential folks from tech, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. And you can find that at Non-Technical Pod on Twitter. Alexis, thank you for coming. Natasha, as always, a real treat. The Equity Crew is back Friday morning. We'll talk to you all then. In the meantime, peace. Peace.